The Optometry Talks podcast series is brought to you by Optometry New South Wales ACT, your peak professional body. Welcome to another episode of Optometry Talks. I'm Paula Katalinik, Professional Services and Advocacy Manager at Optometry New South Wales ACT, and I'm here today with my colleague Audrey Malloy, our Strategic Communication and Member Liaison Manager. Hi, Paula. Hi, Georgie. The world has changed dramatically since we first got wind of COVID-19 in January 2020. For many optometrists, we've had a steep learning curve, improving our infection control and practice protocols in response to the shifting understanding of COVID-19. It has also raised other questions, such as whether aspects of the optometry examination can be done before entering the consulting room or remotely via telehealth, and whether some tests can be safely delayed, substituted or omitted. We've also had to brush up on our triage skills. Today we're here with two experienced optometrists, Mark Kosek and Amanda Sobazada, to discuss the impact that the pandemic has had on their clinical practice, what they've learnt, what tips they have for optometrists in clinical practice, and how optometry practice has changed for better or worse. Welcome, Mark and Amanda. Thank you, Paula. Thanks, Paula. Hello, Mark and Amanda. We're absolutely delighted to have you here with us today. Um, and I'd like to just tell our listeners a little bit more about both of you. Amanda completed her optometry studies at the University of New South Wales, and she has extensive experience in a variety of practice settings, ranging from full scope optometry in a rural setting, collaborative glaucoma and diabetic eye care within the Centre for Eye Health, optometric review in residential aged care, and she's also worked as a locum in independent and corporate practice. Amanda has been involved in student supervision and teaching within the Centre for Eye Health and as a, a UNSW teaching fellow. She sits on the Optometry Australia Evolving Scope of Optometry Advisory Group, and she is passionate about the future of optometry. Mark is a therapeutically endorsed optometrist who completed his undergraduate and master's optometry studies at University of New South Wales. He's a founding partner of IQ Optometrists and has a large full scope practice in Ramsgate in South Sydney. He's a highly experienced clinician with a particular interest in contact lenses, ocular diseases and behavioural optometry. And he's previously supervised students at UNSW and lectured extensively throughout Australia and Asia on contact lenses and dry eye management. Um, we're going to start off today with some discussion around hygiene and disinfections. But before we get to that, can you tell us, Mark, what has it been like running a busy practice during a pandemic? Thanks, Audrey. Uh, it's been challenging. Uh, I think every optometrist who's been in private practice would be, agree with that. But it's also been a great learning experience because I always think when challenges are thrown at you, it gives you the opportunity to really reevaluate how you practice and it gives you ways of actually improving the mode of practice as well. And I actually find that our business and our, our model is stronger you know, after the pandemic than what it was you know, before it because we've been able to implement new things, uh, which has really made uh, the way we operate our practice more streamlined. Mm. Thanks, Mark. You've been a therapeutic optometrist for over a decade now, um, by my recollection. Uh, so infection yep. control is already second nature to you in managing red eyes and other anterior eye diseases. Has the COVID-19 pandemic changed the way you think about disease transmission and how you manage infection control in the practice? Well, it has. I suppose it's just really reiterated how aerosols are so transmissible with regards to viral infection. Uh, in our practice, we're also all, always very mindful of spreading adenovirus. So we're very diligent in terms of wiping down surfaces. 
but what COVID's really done, it's really put a, a greater emphasis on aerosol control. So by wearing masks and social distancing. Um, so it's, you know, it's just made our hygiene practices that much better. Mm. Amanda, what are your thoughts? You worked at the Centre for Eye Health for nearly two years of the pandemic. What challenges did you have in that setting around infection control? Mm. So I guess um, with the Centre for Eye Health, um, it's mainly an elderly population or, you know, patients with a lot of comorbidities who are very at risk for conditions like COVID. And so infection control was very much at the forefront of everything that we did there. Um, One of the challenges we had was um, we had multiple consulting rooms which were shared between optometrists and um, we really had to improve infection control so that we didn't have to constantly wipe every single thing down every time we went into a room. So we did have to do a few new things. Um, I'm sure maybe in pre-test rooms in common practice that might have been happening as well, where at the start of the day you'd go in, you'd wipe everything down and then you'd kind of stick to that room and do all your testing in there instead of moving around as much. And um, can I ask, just regarding masks, um, adapting to wearing a mask has been particularly challenging for optometrists and and for patients. I struggle with it myself, especially when I wear my glasses. Um, So Amanda, what sort of problems did you run into and what solutions do you have for us to solve them? Yeah, well, I think we all probably had a problem with fogging. Um, I know my slit lamp eyepieces used to fog up. Uh, I've had, you know, BIO lenses fog up when I've held them up against a patient's face. So I think one of the main things that I used to do for myself was I used to, well, I still do, um, put a strip of medical tape um, just along the top of um, my face mask, along my nose. Um, I also found that N95 masks, because they're more fitted, I didn't have as much problem with fogging. So that's one thing that I did, yeah. Amanda, I I remember uh, there was a moment um, when I was talking to you in March 2020 where I'd come in and I thought my patient had a a retinal detachment (laughs) and then realised it was my BIO lens just slowly (laughs) fogging over. Suddenly the retinal detachment appeared to be progressing quite quickly. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) And and so, Mark, what about you? Did you have similar experience or do you have any other tips? Um, I love the medical tape. Anything else? Um, In terms of just really just fitting the mask to your face, properly um, aligning it so that your breath's not coming up through the top or through the side of the mask yeah diffropter was a real problem um, in terms of patients fogging up because they'd often walk in with masks which were poorly fitted you know sometimes it was nearly worth not wearing a mask at all because you know they'd they'd come in with a practice with the mask over their mouth but not over their nose so a lot of it came down to educating the patients as well yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was definitely challenging in those environments. But I didn't have any golden. I tried using the wipes to actually put on my glasses and putting on lenses. I found them reasonably effective. But yeah, still the the best the, the best thing I had was just having a well fitted mask. Yeah. And did you either of you have staff who you, who preferred to use the face shield? Because I know especially um, people with certain you know f- uh, facial bone structures and and thick glasses, they already struggle with the glasses fogging up. So add a mask to that. Um, you're wearing it all day, trying to go about your work. Um, so I know of practices where some of the front of house staff, for example, wore a face shield instead of a mask. Did you have any sort of experience with those? 
we we had face shields, but none of us used them. Uh, I think we right. found them a little bit cumbersome. Yeah. One of the things that our receptionists did is we made a, a line on the ground so we would try to avoid patients from congregating around the front desk because a lot of the times our patients would just lean on the front desk and try to chat. Mm-hmm. So we tried to encourage them to stand behind the line so they mm-hmm. weren't in our receptionist's um, um, close proximity. Because we got a couple of receptionists as well where they've got family members who do have um, immunological issues. So we're very mindful. So really in terms of our protocol overall, we looked at the our reception staff and our staff in general, and if we could protect them, then we're going to protect the patients quite well as well. And so yeah. we had to implement a lot of things. Yeah. Mm. So I think with um, – oh, sorry, Paula. No. I think um, with face shields, so um, one thing that my sister – so she works in North Shore – hospital one thing that she kept telling me was because we're so close to patients and um, this is something that was rolled out through New South Wales Health but wasn't so much rolled out towards optometrists um, they all had to wear goggles um, when they were within one and a half meters so um, I know a lot of people there started wearing prescription goggles instead of face shields so that with a mask Um, but we, I, I never wore glasses or goggles when I was working, maybe just for two weeks. I found it was very, very annoying to wear the two together. Wow. Mm. Some, some equipment such as instruments used for visual field testing was also problematic with regards to, um, you know, potential COVID-19 transmissibility. Amanda, what problems did you encounter um, with, you know, equipment and what strategies were you using at the Centre for Eye Health? Mm-hmm. So um, disinfecting the visual fields machine was quite a challenge. Um, I think we all thought really hard on how to do it. We got some information back from Zeiss because we use the Zeiss Humphrey machines. Um, And in the end, uh, what we came up with to actually disinfect the visual fields was uh, we got these small aerosol spray bottles um, to kind of mist um, disinfectant alcohol onto the bowl and then we tried to dab away if there was any excess. Um, the other thing to remember is uh, there's the mechanics on the chin and the forehead rest, which we didn't want to wet. So we had like these laminated pages that we held against those and try to mist and then dab. It was, it's been quite um, interesting how we've been managing that. Yeah, definitely <laughs> That's how I put it. Mark, yeah. did you encounter any specific challenges carrying out particular imaging or testing? No, actually, with the equipment that we've got, I actually found it was reasonably easy, but we really did utilise those alcohol spray bottles. There was a period during the pandemic when you know alcohol wipes were really hard to come by, so we actually did create some spray bottles with alcohol mist and we use that to wipe down all our machinery, whether it be the, the, the Optos, the Visual Field Analyzer, um, the OCT. And I thought that worked really well. I didn't really have too much problem with fogging with the Visual Field Analyzer, um, with the, the trial lens as well, because you had to be mindful that the patient's breath would mm. go on the trial lenses. So, But yeah, just w- wiping everything down thoroughly was really what we needed to do. Were you using a MedMart or a, what kind of field analyzer? Humphrey. You? Humphrey, yep. Yeah, Humphrey. Mm. Well, disinfection was kind of the tip of the iceberg, wasn't it, when it came to adapting to the new COVID normal? How did you cope with the extra workload that the pandemic has created for you and keep the appointment book running smoothly, um, Mark, in particular, with your private practice? 
Yeah, that was the biggest challenge, Paula, because we're a, a really busy practice. So every day that we've got two optometrists and we're pretty much booked out every day, we were still getting quite a few emergency patients coming through the practice as well. Then you had patients who uh, were picking up glasses. So we really had to be very mindful how we controlled the flow of people into the practice. You know, so, for example, on a normal day, non-pandemic, we might have 10 or 15 patients in the, the practice at any particular time, picking up glasses, having an eye test, choosing glasses. So we really had to create a strategy to control the flow of people. So one of the greatest things we did was actually make appointments for spectacle pickups. Um, so we made sure that we could control the flow of people coming in that way. Uh, we also extended our appointments, so we had you know less foot traffic coming through at any one particular time, uh, and, and that really worked very well. So we're going to actually keep the the appointment schedule for picking up glasses as well. Um, we even made appointments for people to actually come and choose glasses. Um, so we just we didn't allow people to walk off the street. Um, now a lot of people thought that was pretty high handed um, for a period of time. Um, but we, we just had to make sure that everybody was protected. You know, again, we have a lot of elderly patients as well in our demographic and, you know, protecting their lives and their health was uh, forefront in our minds. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the patients themselves, did you encounter anxiety in your patients around returning to the practice for testing? Um, and then how, how did you manage that? that anxiety, like not just in yourself, but in the patients. Amanda, did you have that experience? Yes, definitely. Um, I think there's kind of two types of patients. One type that, you know, wanted to come in, didn't understand what we were doing, didn't want to wear face masks. But then there was that other type that really is more at risk where, you know, they were very anxious about coming in. Um, they were worried about catching COVID. They might have had elderly family members or at-risk people within their household or they themselves might have been at risk. Um, and I think Mark's already touched on this where um, the way to really help patients to come in is to make them, well, to tell them that you're taking all these extra steps for their safety and that's how you make them feel more comfortable. You know, letting them know you're taking these extra disinfection steps, you know, face masks, um, social distancing, having incorporated that into the practice um, makes them comfortable. And um, I think most patients did come in, um, especially if they had something in their vision, which was very important to have checked out. And, and how did you advertise those COVID safe practices to the patients? Like, how did you get that information to them? Was that something that was done over the phone, like on a case by case, or did you put it on your website or... Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about how the patients would have found out about all those practices. It was For us, it was really just um, direct communication. So when a patient made an appointment, we were very um, diligent in explaining to bring a mask. Um, we also had signage throughout the practice in terms of social distancing. Um, and when we sent out email reminders, um, now you couldn't do reminders for a period of time, but when we did, were able to send out SMS or email reminders, we also had... A, you know, stating what our COVID practices um, were as well. Um, so we, we even checked things like temperature on every patient who came in. We wrote the details of every single person who walked in the store. So even if you just came in to, um, you know, to have a look at some glasses, then we wrote your name down, we wrote your phone number down so we could then contact trace as well. So again, we're, we're very diligent with regards to that, even up until you know, the day all the um, restrictions were lifted. 
And Mark, just as a follow on from that, did you advertise that on, on your website as well or through um, like in your recalls? Did you, is that something you included to say, come and see us, this is what we're doing? Or was it really just sort of done when they phoned up to make the appointment? It was mainly done when they phoned up to make the appointment. Yeah. So we just yeah. went through the, yeah, the process. I think it was very similar to what Mark has said. Um, one other thing I would say is if a patient did call to cancel, um, that would be another important time to ask them why they're cancelling. If it was more related to being an- anxious about um, COVID, um, to then tell them again very directly, look, this is what we're doing and um, giving them a very firm recommendation if if they should come in or you know if what they were noticing could be delayed, for example, if they were extremely anxious and triaging really. It's interesting. The Australian Psychology Society is reporting that they've seen an 81% increase in demand for their professional advisory service. Did you encounter patient anxiety around returning for optometry testing? And how did you help your patients through all of that? Amanda was just touching on triaging. And I was wondering, um, Amanda, whether any of the triaging uh, lessons that you've learned at the centre over the last few years could be you know, taken forward hopefully this pandemic will end soon but have we learned any lessons around kind of triaging patients or yeah definitely um i think when we had to actually sit down and really really triage and reduce our patient books um i think it really makes you think what patients do need to come in and don't so can you extend out when you see someone who's suspect of glaucoma or um you know, a patient who has diabetes is extremely well controlled. Um, can they push out that appointment? Things like this. Um, and how to actually um, ask patients questions to see, you know, if they've noticed a change which needs them to come in urgently or if we can um, push out that appointment. So a little bit of telehealth even, um, which I think a lot of clinicians have been doing recently well, in these new times in the last two years. So following on from what Marcus said, Amanda, do you have any other handy tips for streamlining clinical practice other than what we've talked about? You know, being kind to your clinicians as well. It's been um, a very stressful time for everyone. So um, sometimes I think even the clinicians um, can get a bit anxious about, you know, coming back to work and seeing as many patients because of the same concerns about uh, around COVID. So um yeah, I think uh, Mark covered everything. Yeah, that anxiety was particularly heightened before vaccines came out. Mm. You know, everyone was worried about contracting COVID and potentially getting very sick with it before the vaccine. So the vaccines really did help a lot. Um, it eased a lot of our apprehensions as to you know how how sick we would get if we um, came in close contact with somebody. And and our profession was one of the professions I think which was most at risk of of contracting COVID. I've had it myself. Um, I got COVID in January and luckily I was triple vaxxed. I, I got it from a wedding, unfortunately. Um, but knowing that I had that, you know, that triple vaccination is what really alleviated a lot of the anxiety in not just clinicians, but also the patients as well. And the good thing is a lot of our patients really did, um, they triage themselves. I think they realised what was important, what wasn't important. So, you know, a lot of the older patients, you know, we didn't see them for a good six months. But because we already had very good recall systems and good um, ocular health disease management, 
I don't think we were so affected in terms of missing things. I'm quite diligent, like for example, with glaucoma workups, I'm pretty much making sure patients come in every 12 months. So the fact that we already had that, uh, if the patient missed three or four months, it, it didn't really make too much of a difference in terms of their overall ocular health outcomes. Um, I'm just picking up on something that you mentioned earlier. Um, I mean, you've just mentioned there about how most people self-triage mark and how most people are sort of sensible. Um, but Amanda mentioned earlier the sort of the two types of patient, the, the sensible ones and then the ones that are like, no, I'm not wearing a mask, um, that I'm not vaccinated, whatever. So how did you both deal with patients who didn't abide by the COVID restrictions, even the legal restrictions, such as refusing to wear masks? Um, and, and is it something that you canvassed in, in advance of the appointment? Or what did you do if someone just showed up and said, I'm not wearing a mask? I might, I might ask you first, Mark. Yeah, we, we had, from memory, we had one situation where a gentleman came in and refused to wear a mask. And we basically told him, you're not welcome in the practice unless you do wear a mask. You have to be, unfortunately, heavy-handed. Mm. Um, the tricky one, Audrey, I found is these people who are actually trying to say they got an exemption. And they had no, we had no way of proving whether they really did have an exemption or not. They were just spouting out the fact, I've got an exemption, I don't have to wear a mask. And it was very hard to challenge those people. Um, yeah, because- I, I, yeah, I've come across those um, in another, another industry, actually. But one of the things that, one of the ways of managing it was to offer them a face shield. Because if you're claustrophobic about a mask, um, putting on one of those sort of welder's helmet type visors, they don't look attractive, but hmm. you can't really object to them in terms of, you know, claustrophobia or, not, you know, or those the sort of classic reasons for not wearing a mask. So that was a tip that I got from another industry and yeah. in how to manage that type of person. And I know exactly the kind of, you know, the, the, we definitely had some of those um, come in as well, just... Yeah, the, the, nice as anything, but saying, oh, no, I don't have to wear one. I'd love to wear one, but I, can, I have an exemption. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Might not work so well behind a slit lamp, though. <laughs> oh, they, yeah, choosing, not for that, frames. but for choosing frames <laughs> yeah, and all exactly. of that. Yeah. And what about Amanda? Did you? How did you manage the refusers? Yeah, I think, um, like Mark said, you kind of just have to be a little bit strict. Um, whenever... When I did have patients, even someone who came in with an exemption, um, I would tell them, look, you know, I understand that's perfectly fine, but when we're in the consulting room, when we have to be less than one and a half metres away, I will need you to wear a face mask and if you need to take a break. So I had a few patients with emphysema, for example, and I said, look, as many breaks as you need during the appointment, that's fine. You can go out, um, catch your breath, come back in, but during these tests, I will need you to wear a mask for both of our safeties. So, and I think most people were very understanding of that, Uh, especially in a health setting. um, You can actually tell them they need to wear a mask. It's different to, you know, retail or normal being out and about. It is very close, like behind a sit lamp, but what, 20 centimeters away? (laughs) And I think your point that it's for a short period of time, like, you you know, you, you, I respect that you're not wearing a mask, but you will need to put it on while I examine the inside of your eye Mm. is something that someone can say, well, you know, how can you say no to that? It's only going to be for a minute or, you know, whatever. It's such a short period. It's not as, it doesn't, because some people found that the masks made them more anxious. They sort of start hyperventilating almost Mm. in the masks. Mm. Um, Yeah, we had slit lamp shields as well, which were were quite a a good investment. So that also alleviated our our worry about that direct transmission when you're doing slit lamp. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you think you might be more likely to wear um, masks going forward if you're, you know, recovering from a cold down the track or do you think this has changed how you 
um, you know, deal with transmission control in your practice, Mark? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd be more inclined to yeah, to put a mask on or, or even request a, a patient to put a mask on, for example, if they're, you know, they're showing cold-type symptoms. I just think it's made everybody a lot more vigilant. You know, it used to be a badge of honour to go to work feeling sick, you know, in, the, in yeah. you know, 10, 20 years yeah. ago. If I felt a bit unwell, I'd still soldier on and go to work. But now, you know, I've got to be much more mindful of, you know, how I can actually affect the health of other people. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any other tips that you might have before we wrap it up, Amanda, or um, have we discussed everything? I think we've gone through everything. Yeah. Well, it's been wonderful. It's been a really interesting discussion today. I'd like to thank both of you, Mark and Amanda, for sharing your perspectives and wisdom with us. Yes, it's, um, it's been fascinating, and I'm sure our listeners will have lots to take away from the discussion. Um, for our listeners, if you, if you need further help at any stage, um, you can call the team at Optometry New South Wales, ACT. We're here to support you. We're just a phone call or an email away. You can call us directly here on 029712-2199, or you can call the Optometry Australia National Office. Um, you'll also come across in your travels the various members of our Early Career Optometrist Committee, ICONA. So say hi and let us know what we can do to support you. Thanks, Audrey. That concludes this episode of Optometry Talks. Stay tuned for further episodes in this series and thank you for listening. This episode of Optometry Talks was brought to you compliments of Optometry New South Wales ACT. 